Ben Bienvenue and welcome to The Musical Man, the podcast that shines new light on the Tony Award for Best Musical. Each week we examine the nominees and winners of that esteemed decoration, and this week we'll be discussing The Drowsy Chaperone. Hello. How are we today? A little quiet? I'm feeling a little blue myself. You know, a little anxious for no particular reason. A little sad that I should feel anxious at this age. You know, a little self-conscious anxiety resulting in non-specific sadness. A state that I call blue. Anyway, whenever I'm feeling this way, blue, I like to listen to my music. So, I was going through my box of records this morning. Yes, records. And what did I find but one of my favorite shows, Gable and Stein's The Drowsy Chaperone. Remember? Music by Julie Gable, lyrics by Sidney Stein. Let me read to you what it says on the back of the album. It says, mix-ups, mayhem, and a gay wedding. <laughs> well, of course, the phrase gay wedding has a different meaning now, but, but back then it just meant fun. And that's just what this show is, fun. Now, let's visualize. Imagine if you will, it's November 1928. You've just arrived at the doors of the Morosco Theater in New York. It's very cold, and a heavy gray sleet is falling from the sky, but you don't care, because you're going to see a Broadway show. But first, how are we doing? I hope this episode of The Musical Man finds you well. As always, thank you so much for listening. I do have a few points to address here in the opening segment. Patty, Benny, how do you feel about that? Can I get a witness? Can I get a witness? Can I finish? Remember that? Can I finish? Can I finish? Can I finish? <laughs> okay, let's get serious, shall we? Uh-oh, Mr. Shall is back. Oh my god. Despite my best efforts, I have to apologize. I did mispronounce it. Aaron Tveit's last name a few times last week. My bad, Aaron. Oh my gosh. Will he ever forgive me? Will he take my calls? Oh no. Looking back, I was also too harsh, I think, when summarizing what I believed to be the message of Next to Normal. It is not as aggressively anti-science as I made it out to be. Dr. Madden, for example, is portrayed as a sympathetic, level-headed professional who recognizes the limits of medicine without viewing those limits as marks against medicine, so that's important. And hey, Dan agrees to sit down with a therapist, which is no small thing. I'm simply worried about Diana's nebulous future, and I do not believe suffering through chemical low points is brave or noble. Put simply, if you are struggling with mental illness, you deserve professional help. End of story. I I am still annoyed by by the second act twist regarding Gabe. Good luck explaining that to your actors, directors, because they will have questions. Oh, yay, yay. Medicine has its limits, Diana. For example, what we call a delusion may actually be a ghost with unfinished business or a demon of some sort. Who can say? This got lost in the shuffle last week. I meant to talk about this, but I did want to mention the bizarre Instagram post Alice Ripley made, seemingly in response to her accusers, the caption for this post originally read as follows. Get a load of this. Quote, a piece of trash's attempt to mar my world equals a sad, shameful, and discarded but hashtag failed quote. That's B-U-T-T, by the way, but. I don't know what's going on. This was later edited to read as, quote, a beautiful world awaits, quote, 
All right, you know that people can see the changes, right? They they follow you closely. They know when these changes get made. You know that, Alice, don't you? Alice, one pill makes you larger. What? Do, oh, oh, oh! <laughs> I almost missed this. Okay, so I have an announcement to make regarding the Cream Pie Cutie Club. I have not brought up the CPCC in a very long time. This is a group of gentlemen. I find them to be attractive. I would like them to turn me into a cream pie. These are people who have either been on Broadway or the West End. I have an announcement to make. Ben Platt is no longer in the CPCC. No. No, thank you. Get out. Here, let me show you the door. No, I have watched way too many commercials and trailers for that Dear Evan Hansen movie, which I do not plan on seeing anytime soon. And he is just really unsettling in those commercials, those trailers. Hey, no, no thanks. I, I don't need to see Evan up close like that. He's very sweaty and slimy, clammy, I guess is a word that you would use. So I'm sorry, Ben, but you're done. Ah, have some finger foods on the way out. But yeah, we need you to pack your bags, okay? It's time for the show facts regarding this week's subject, the drowsy chaperone. Show me the show facts, okay? The drowsy chaperone was a 2006 nominee for the Tony Award for Best Musical. It opened on May 1st, 2006 at the Marquee Theater and ran for 674 performances. The book was written by Bob Martin and Don McKellar, and the music and lyrics were written by Lisa Lambert and Greg Morrison. The development of The Drowsy Chaperone began in 1997, when McKellar, Lambert, and Morrison presented a spoof of old musicals at Bob Martin's stag party. The name of Bob Martin's wife is, it should be noted, Janet Vandegraaff, and the lead characters of The Drowsy Chaperone share Bob and Janet's names. Bob Martin joined the writing team as Chaperone was being prepped for the Toronto Fringe Festival, and after finding success at the Theatre Passe Morale in 1999 and the Winter Garden Theatre in 2001, Chaperone made its American debut as part of the 2004 National Alliance for Musical Theatre Festival. This was followed by an L.A. run in 2005. But back to the Broadway production show facts. The director of the Broadway production of The Drowsy Chaperone was Casey Nicola. The musical director, Phil Reno. Choreographer, Casey Nicola. Scenic design, David Gallo. Lighting design, Ken Billington and Brian Monahan. Sound design, Acme Sound Partners. We've heard of them before. And costume design, Greg Barnes. Here's the original Broadway cast for the purposes of this little cast breakdown of ours. I took the time to look into the resumes, the Broadway resumes, of these performers, and I noted any shows that we have already talked about on the podcast. So, if they have been in a previous subject of the podcast, I took that note, I wrote that down, and I'm going to point it out to you. So, for example, we start with Danny Burstein, who has been in Company and South Pacific on Broadway. We follow him with Georgia Engel, who was in Hello, Dolly. Hello, Dolly. You would also know, maybe, you would also probably know Georgia Engel from her television work in the Mary Tyler Moore show, Coach and Everybody Loves Raymond. We have Sutton Foster, star of Shrek the Musical, the Scarlet Pimpernel. I don't think I knew that. I did not understand that she was in the ensemble of the Scarlet Pimpernel at one point. And she has also been in Les Miserables on Broadway. Who's this coming up? Edward Hibbert? Me and my girl. You did me and my girl on Broadway? Well, good for you, Edward. We have Troy Britton Johnson, who appeared in Damn Yankees on Broadway. Eddie Corbick of Sweeney Todd fame. Then we have Garth Kravitz and Jason Kravitz. Garth and Jason Kravitz are brothers who, for the purposes of the Drowsy Chaperone, play brothers who play 
gangsters. I hope this will make sense in hindsight if it doesn't make sense now. Ah, but here we have Beth Level, who has starred in Crazy For You on Broadway. Remember, I'm only noting shows that we have talked about here on the podcast. I know that Beth Level has been in many other Broadway productions, including 42nd Street and The Prom. Ah, but you understand the convention here. Do I have to explain it again? No, because we have to move on to Keisha Lewis Evans, who has appeared in Once on this Island, Ain't Misbehavin', Big River, and Dreamgirls. We follow her with Bob Martin. That's right, Bob Martin is in the show. The Drowsy Chaperone is Martin's only acting credit on Broadway. He would go on to write the books for Elf and The Prom. We then have Jennifer Smith, who has starred in A Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder. Nice work if you can get it. The producers and, hey, the Scarlet Pimpernel. Lenny Wolpa, Linda Griffin, Angela Pupello, Jory Sorge, who has appeared in Nice Work if you can get it and will apparently be playing the character Dave in MJ the Musical. You know, that character, Dave. And finally, rounding out this Broadway cast of The Drowsy Chaperone, we have Patrick Wetzel, who has appeared in Spamalant, and the producers, Tony Nods. Okay, The Drowsy Chaperone won the following Tony Awards. Best Book of a Musical, Bob Martin and Don McKellar. Best Original Score, Lisa Lambert and Greg Morrison. Best Featured Actress in a Musical, Beth Lovell. Oh my goodness, much deserved, much deserved, Beth Lovell. Best Scenic Design of a Musical, David Gallo, and Best Costume Design of a Musical, Greg Barnes. The production was additionally nominated for Best Musical, Best Actor in a Musical, Bob Martin, Best Actress in a Musical, Sutton Foster, Best Featured Actor in a Musical, Danny Burstein, Best Choreography, Casey Nicola, Best Direction of a Musical, Casey Nicola, Best Orchestrations, Larry Blank, and Best Lighting Design of a Musical, Ken Billington and Brian Monahan. So, in total, we have 13 nominations and five awards when all is said and done. Let's talk about the plot. The Drowsy Chaperone is a 1928 Broadway musical comedy that only exists in the world of our narrator, an older gentleman known as the Man in Chair, or for our purposes, the MIC. As a diehard fan of musical theater, the MIC owns quite a collection of cast albums, but one of his favorites is Julie Gable and Sidney Stein's The Drowsy Chaperone. The MIC invites us to sit with him and listen to the recording, and as he begins to relay the plot of the show, his shabby apartment blooms into an expensive Broadway set. The MIC introduces us to our local ingenues, Robert Martin, an oil tycoon, and Janet Vandegraaff, a famous Broadway star. The Drowsy Chaperone opens on the day of their wedding, a joyous occasion that will also mark the end of Janet's stage career. This is terrible news for Feldzig, her longtime producer and creator of the Feldzig Follies. A powerful mafioso has recently invested in the Follies, and if Janet leaves the show, it could result in a slump at the box office. The mafioso enlists a pair of gangsters who disguise themselves as pastry chefs and blend in with the wedding party. Their job is to ensure Feldzig does his job, which is to ensure Janet never retires. To that end, Feldzig employs a handsome and arrogant man named Adolfo to seduce Janet and ruin her chances of marrying Robert. Speaking of the groom, he's feeling a bit nervous. His best man, George, encourages him to tap dance his cares away before hitting upon an even better idea. Why not roller skate through the garden? But be sure to wear your blindfold, Robert. You wouldn't want to spot the bride while roller skating. Janet consults with her chaperone, an alcoholic woman who advises her ward to have a drink or ten before settling in for a long nap. This is the perfect opportunity for Janet to slip away and 
find out if Robert truly loves her. The chaperone is startled by Adolfo, who has mistaken her for Janet. The love-starved chaperone is aware of this crucial error of mistaken identity, but says nothing to spoil the moment. If Adolfo wants her, then he shall have her. Side note. Throughout the course of these events, the MIC educates us on the history of the drowsy chaperone while offering bits of trivia about the cast. The MIC is able to move freely through the chaperone scenes, but is never acknowledged by the cast. Janet finds Robert in the garden and pretends to be a French girl named Mimi. As a reminder, Robert is wearing a blindfold. Mimi asks Robert to tell the story of how he first met his bride-to-be, and in doing so, Robert becomes overwhelmed with amorous feelings. He spontaneously kisses Mimi, which causes Janet to become upset. An ambitious flapper named Kitty tries to impress Felsig with a display of her astonishing mind-reading powers. She is dead set on replacing Janet in the follies, but Felsig has too much on his mind. The gangsters have returned to apply the old squeeze box routine, which inspires Felsig to distract them with a plea to their ego. Why waste your lives as low-level goons when you clearly have a future on the stage? The gangsters are intrigued, but when Adolfo arrives with the chaperone on his arm, all bets are off. Adolfo believes Operation Seduce Janet has been a roaring success, an assumption Feldsig is all too eager to correct. You bagged the wrong dame, you dope! But what's this? Janet has canceled the wedding. Robert protests. I only kissed Mimi because she reminded me so much of you. Janet does not care. The wedding is off. End of story. Thus concludes Act 1 of The Drowsy Chaperone and the first of two records that make up the cast album. But there is no intermission for us, the audience. Instead, the MIC asks us to enjoy the opening number of Act 2 while he runs to the bathroom. He gets to go to the bathroom. We don't. What the fuck? Within a few moments, it becomes clear something is off. The setting has changed to an ornate palace. The chaperone cast has been replaced by a crew of moldy oriental, quote-unquote, stereotypes, and some English woman is running around in a hoop skirt dress. The MIC returns, stops the record, and apologizes. It would seem we had been listening to The Enchanted Nightingale, another musical written by Gable and Stein. Having hit upon his mistake, the MIC takes us in into the second act of Chaperone. Janet finds herself swept up in a classic convention of musical theater, the dream sequence. Is she meant to marry Robert or return to the life of an actress? How could she possibly make up her mind when she is being pulled in so many directions? Two, two directions to be precise. The chaperone comes to Janet's aid with another piece of advice, but her words are muddled by the sound of someone dropping a cane. All we are able to hear is, while you can. The MIC has always wondered what is said at this moment. Is the chaperone telling Janet to live while you can, or leave while you can? For the first time, the MIC talks about himself instead of the show. His marriage was unsuccessful, and we are led to believe he might be gay. He believes living is a better option than leaving, which would be a nice sentiment if he were not also agoraphobic. 
We return to the events of the drowsy chaperone. Janet confesses to Robert that she tricked him into thinking she was Mimi, which leads to their reconciliation. The wedding is back on. In related news, Aldolfo is set to marry the chaperone, Kitty is set to marry Feltzig, and Mrs. Tottendale is set to marry her loyal manservant, Underling. Who the hell are Underling and Mrs. Tottendale, you might be wondering? Now, honestly, I wouldn't worry about it. Moving on, George winds up serving as the best man for all four weddings. But there's only one problem. He never found a minister. Ah! In a development straight out of the Babes in Arms playbook, an aviator named Trix lands her plane in the garden to great fanfare. She's on her way to Rio, and if the captain of a ship can perform marriages, it stands to reason a pilot should be able to marry her passengers. It's a honeymoon in Rio for all. As the final chord of the chaperone's score is about to be played, the power goes out in the MIC's apartment. A superintendent arrives to inspect the circuit breakers, and after a bit of fiddling, the power is restored. We hear the last triumphant chord, and the drowsy chaperone officially comes to an end. The MIC sighs. He is alone once more, left to reflect on his love for a musical that he has never actually seen. As he quietly sings to himself, the chaperone cast returns to the stage. They not only see the man in chair, but welcome him as one of their own, standing by his side for one more rousing number. Ah, yes! That's it! That's the plot! For the purposes of this week's episode, I kept it simple. I listened to the 2006 original Broadway cast album of The Drowsy Chaperone, and I watched the 2006 Tony Awards performance of Show Off. That's it! That's all I did! Oh, I kept it simple. I said that. Before we dive into a deconstruction of the score, I would like to offer you a montage of clips. This is Bob Martin playing the part of Man in Chair. I find him to be so funny on this cast album, and I just want to offer you this montage of the Man in Chair's trivia, the trivia that he shares with us regarding the drowsy chaperone. Patty, Benny, can we drop in that montage right here? The groom was played by the dashing Percy Hyman. Before he was an actor, he was the Albright Toothpaste Man. Albright was hugely popular in the early 20s because it contained cocaine. Oh yes, it's true, if you looked at the label, it was the fifth ingredient down, right after sugar. The Bride was played by Jane Roberts. She was the oops girl, remember? She was billed as the girl whose sexual energy was so great that it caused the men around her to have accidents spill their drinks and drive their cars into trees. And she would go, oops. <laughs> well, I'm really not doing it justice, but people ate it up. Beatrice Stockwell was famous for her rousing anthems. She entertained and inspired troops in every major world conflict up to and including the Falklands War. Of course, by that time she was in her late 80s and her anthems didn't so much rouse as stupefy. Still, she demanded a rousing anthem in every show she ever did, even if it wasn't appropriate. Aldolfo was played by former silent film star and world-class alcoholic Roman Bartelli. He was the one who later drank himself to death at his chateau in Nice, remember? It was five days before they found the body, and by that time it had been partially consumed by his poodles, remember? Try not to think of the poodles when you're listening to this. The gangsters were played by vaudeville duo The Tall Brothers, John and Peter Tall. 
They were an early example of the typical Broadway gangster, full of wordplay and stylized movements. Not very intimidating, unless you find dancers intimidating, which I do, but for reasons that would not be appropriate to this situation. Thank you very much. It is now time to begin our deconstruction of the score with a little discussion regarding Show Off. Let's hear Show Off. Please, no more attention. I counted to ten. And I'm through. Farewell. Adieu. You'll never see this. Sutton Foster to be a perfectly lovely, top-notch performer. As evidenced by her rendition of Show Off, she has talent and charm to spare, the timing of a Swiss watch, and a confidence only seasoned veterans of the boards can exude. In the final moments of this number, Foster applies a memorable bit of gravitas to the phrase loved no more. I don't want to be cheered no more, praised no more, grabbed no more, touched no more, loved no more. I really like the way that she... (laughs) <laughs> she makes that last part so heavy. That has been in my head all week. Now, having praised her thoroughly, I will say I am starting to think of Foster as the second-year senior at your local college theater department. She has played nearly every conceivable musical theater part one could think to give her. Sandy, Eponine, Millie, Nellie, Fanny, Svetlana, Peppermint, Patty, Joe March, Inga, Fiona, Faye Apple, Reno Sweeney, Violet, Queenie, Charity, The Baker's Wife, Marion Peru, She deserves and makes the most of these opportunities, but we should be cultivating the skills of other performers. Cultivate so as to elevate, I say. Let someone else play Nancy in Oliver, for example, or Sally in Cabaret, or Dot in Sunday, or Lola in Yankees, or Galinda in Wicked. Those people need the experience, and audiences deserve a broad, rich palette of stars. Foster may be reliable, but she isn't always the most exciting choice, and anyone who spent four years in a college theater department will know exactly what I'm talking about. Adelaide does not need to be played by a white woman who is a size 7, and at the rate we're going, Foster will be playing Auntie Mame, Dolly Levi, Mama Rose, Norma Desmond, and Madam Armfelt before she's 50. Do we really want that for her? Let's slow down, slow down, before we completely exhaust our supply of quirky ingenues. Also, Peppermint Patty? Who made that? 
that call. I mean, I suppose Foster has a whiff of tomboy energy more than a whiff, but come on. Ah, she's a Sally Brown or a Lucy or a Snoopy. End of list. It's a dismal little world in which we live. It can bore you till you've nothing left to give. Seven overrated wonders, seven underwhelming seas, six excruciating continents, Antarctica. Oh, please. Still, you mustn't let it lick you. This planet, oh, so bland. Keep your eyeball on the highball in your hand as we stumble along cross life's crowded dance floors as we push and we shove we live and we learn and when we finally leave the bar and we see that morning star we pull our bootstraps up and homeward turn then we stumble away through dawn's blinding sunbeams failing glowing right from right nor left from wrong but as long as we can hear radar must be in dire need of recalibration because I was convinced Nancy Opal of Urinetown fame was a member of the Chaperone cast. My mind was spinning. Who is this? Who is singing as we stumble along? Is this Miss Pennywise? My God, it is. It's Miss Pennywise herself. I am the smartest boy in the entire cafeteria. No, Jonathan, this is not Miss Pennywise, a.k.a. Nancy Opal. That's Beth Level, you fool. Thankfully, I checked my before I went and wrecked myself. My apologies, Beth Lovell. This is a Viking war cry of a performance that stands toe-to-toe with Ethel Merman's best. My hope is that it earned Lovell a mid-act standing ovation, if not several. There is no way you can hear that voice, deliver those notes, and remain in your seat. To do so would be preposterous. I'm sure that you have heard the name Aldalfo, a ladies' man who wins acclaim Aldalfo. Well, lovely miss, I am the same Aldalfo. I introduce myself. I am Aldalfo. Nice to meet you. Shall we? Not so fast. So just in case you didn't hear Aldalfo, I'll try to make it very clear Aldalfo. The lovely ladies always cheer on the 
I repeat myself, I am Aldalfo. Understood. I can sing it high, Aldalfo. I can sing it low, Aldalfo. I can sing it very fast, Aldalfo. I can sing it very slowly. I do it now, but it would take hours. Now let us see if you can remember my name. I'll give it a shot. Now who's the fellow that you see? Aldolfo. And how should you refer to me? Aldolfo. And who is it I'll always be? Aldolfo. Now sing it proudly. You are Aldolfo. Spell it out for Joe. For all you lovely ladies that didn't hear for some reason because maybe you are hard of hearing or something. I don't know. It goes. sure where Aldolfo is supposed to be from exactly. Spain, Italy, but Danny Burstein's mother is Spanish and his father is Jewish, so I'm pretty sure the math checks out. I Am Aldolfo is operating on simple and highly effective game logic. Aldolfo needs you to understand his name is Aldolfo, and he will remind you of this as often as he can. That's the game! Burstein plays this game to perfection. I have been touching base with Chaperone on and off for years, and his performance has never lost a hint of luster. His speedy delivery of Aldolfo gets me every time. Aldolfo! Perfect! No notes! Chop the nuts, pound the dough, bake it up nice and slow, then you got a Toledo Toledo surprise! Now sell it! Hit the peach, peel the skin, mush it up, throw it in, that's a tasty Toledo! Surprise! First you beat it up, then you sweet it up. When you heat it up, if it tries to rise, don't let it. It's a snap. Try it, folks. Whip your whites, split your yolks, then you got a splendido. Toledo surprise! You boys are naturals. Keep it up. A five, six, seven, eight. developing a new act. Toledo Surprise! You're putting gangsters in the show and you won't put me in it? They're not even in the union! She got it all wrong. The new act, it's for you, Kitty. And these boys are your backup dancers. Backup dancers? Holy cats! What? The 
arrival of Jennifer Smith as Kitty proves to be just what Toledo Surprise needs to go from a B-plus number to a resounding A. Heaven knows I can appreciate a dizzy dame, and Smith's take on Kitty harkens back to every dizzy dame who came before her. Lisa Kirk's Lois Lane from Kiss Me Kate, Vivian Blaine's Adelaide from Guys and Dolls, Kristen Chenoweth's Precious McGuire from Steel Pier. I relish the moment of stunned silence that follows Jennifer Smith's delivery of sugary yum yum. You definitely cannot barrel past a phrase like that. You have to let it hang in the air. Okay, here we go. Wait, who are you? I'm Janet Vandegraaff. Do you need anyone? I don't need anyone. What about the love of one man? What do I care about the love of one man? When I am adored by millions! Do I need to be so gloomy? No, no, no! I can rule the world if so I chose. Sigmund Freud sends flowers to me every show. Gertrude Stein, she handed me a rose. Now she really lets go. I'm Janet. Janet characterization of the man in chair is superb, full stop. But really, how could I not appreciate the M.I.C.? I am him. He is me. We are both gay men who often feel sad for no particular reason. We spend hours of our lives talking about musicals with people who may or may not exist outside of our own minds. 
And I respect the MIC as a critic because his feedback is straightforward and always informed by a real enthusiasm for the form. I wish I could sit in his place during Bride's Lament, as I'm pretty sure it involves Foster walking about like a marionette, and I would like to see it! The numbers monkey metaphor led me back to George and Ira Gershwin's But Not For Me. If you're a fan of this podcast, if you've been listening to it for a while, you should know my favorite part of that little ditty, quote, I never want to hear from any cheerful Pollyannas who tell you fate supplies a mate. It's all bananas. It's all bananas. That's my favorite part. Monkeys, bananas. You can see the connection I made between these two songs, right? I am threading the needle, as it were. Love makes lovers worry. Love makes lovers fret. But here's a fact on which we can depend. Just like long ago when Romeo loved Juliet, love is always lovely in the end. Romeo and Juliet was a tragedy, madam. Oh, I never read reviews. Love can start a quarrel, love can cause a din, but love has always been a trusty friend. Twas a happy fate for Hank the Eight and Anne Boleyn. Love is always lovely in the I must point out, madam, that Anne Boleyn lost her head. Yes, she was in love. Love was good to Eve and Adam. Here we go again. And Samson and Delilah, too. Good grief. May I pose a question, madam? Why, yes, of course. Why does nothing I say to you ever get through? Don't mind if I do. Sneaks up behind you, love drops from above, but love would never consciously offend. Love has certainly been kind to me and my true love. Love is always lovely in the end. But your late husband was a brute. I don't mean him, you silly coot. Oh, madam. Love is always lovely. Lovely, lovely, lovely. Love is always lovely in the That was Love is Always Lovely in the End. Thank you, as always, Patty and Benny. The presence of Georgia Engel in The Drowsy Chaperone calls to mind the casting of other TV comedians in Broadway musicals, from Ruth Buzzy in Sweet Charity to Imogene Coca in On the 20th Century. I am all for sketch and sitcom veterans making a transition to the stage, especially when they have a voice as striking and comforting as Georgia Engel. She is everyone's favorite nana. She sounds like a darling cartoon pigeon. She is fabulous, and I never should have taken her for granted. Chris and I have been watching the Mary Tyler Moore show in its entirety over the last few weeks, and I cannot wait for us to reach the Engel seasons. We are in for a treat. I just know it. A bride and groom in a chapel may bring a tear to the eye, but what a thrill when love birds trill. I do, I do. 
strain that sweet refrain I do, I do in the sky When boughs are set in a meadow The bees and daffodils sigh But honey's rush when sweethearts gush I do, I do in the sky I do, I do in the sky Look, up ahead, do you see it? imagine anyone but Keisha Lewis Evans playing the part of Trix, the aviatrix, because if that were true, it would mean missing out on this totally phenomenal voice. Lewis Evans transforms the quaint I do, I do in the sky into a showstopper, an ode to love and life that left me buzzing. Sincerity is an enormous factor when considering why I love this performance so much. Lewis Evans believes in this song, in this material, and in invests in it with all her heart. This is wonderful work. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. If you'll indulge me, I would now like to record an audition for future reference. If I ever happen to be up for the role of man in chair, I would like to offer this formal audition. I will be doing the monologue from As We Stumble Along, the reprise, I should say, of As We Stumble Along. So, hello, my name is Jonathan Pernasek. I'm represented by no one. And this is a little monologue from The Drowsy Chaperone. So that was the Drowsy Chaperone. <laughs> oh, I love it so much. I know it's not a perfect show. The spit-take scene is lame and the monkey motif is labored, but it does what a musical is supposed to do. It takes you to another world and gives you a little tune to carry with you in your head for, for when you're feeling blue, you know? And scene! I am the best actor in the entire cafeteria. American ready, no see eye to eye. But Emperor, sometimes a different outlook can change your point of view. What? Precisely. What is it about the Asians that fascinates Caucasians? What is it about the Asians that's so nice? Is it the wontons, the egg rolls, the rice? Perhaps it's Buddha or Confucius and their excellent advice. What is it about Caucasians that mystifies we Asians? What is it about Caucasians that's so odd? They call a pretty lady abroad. They have hair upon their chest and they only have one god. Impossible!
For context, Message from a Nightingale is presented as a bonus track on the Chaperone cast album. Broadway audiences would have only heard a portion of this number, but here it is presented in full. Now you know, I, uh, I have some thoughts. A lot of people hide behind the veil of satire to defend questionable material. These are the same people who freely apply the term camp to nearly everything they encounter. Ah, it's camp! It's satire! Well, the thing about satire, if we can just focus on that, is it needs to comment on its subject. Satire is not merely a reflection of the subject, because imitation is what? Ah, that's right, the sincerest form of flattery, and I don't consider flattery to be the goal of satire. Message from a Nightingale doesn't have anything to say about musicals like My Fair Lady or The King and I, because it's having too much fun reproducing what made them problematic in the first place. Can you believe people used to do what we're doing right now in front of you? That's not satire. You can put shoe polish on your face and call it satire satire, but that does not make it so. Take it from someone who got paid to do Asian voice. You're not fooling anyone. What's Jonathan talking about? I'm not telling the story again. Check out our episode on Miss Saigon. I told the story there. I've, I've told that story in other episodes as well. Do your research. It's all out there. That's all I have to say regarding the drowsy chaperone score. It is now time to hear from our fine, fine sponsor, 5678 Coffee. Take it away, 5678. The Dream by Arnold Lobel. Toad was asleep, and he was having a dream. He was on a stage, and he was wearing a costume. Toad looked out into the dark. Frog was sitting in the theater. A strange voice from far away said, Presenting the greatest Toad in all the world! Toad took a deep bow. Frog looked smaller, and he shouted, Hooray for Toad! Toad will now play the piano very well, said the strange voice. Toad played the piano, and he did not miss a note. Frog, cried Toad, can you play the piano like this? No, said Frog. It seemed to Toad that Frog looked even smaller. Toad will now walk on high wire, and he will not fall down, said the voice. Toad walked on the high wire. Frog, cried Toad, can you do tricks like this? No, peeped Frog, who looked very, very small. Toad will now dance, and he will be wonderful, said the voice. Frog, can you be as wonderful as this? said Toad as he danced all over the stage. There was no answer. Toad looked out into the theatre. 
Frog was so small that he could not be seen or heard. Frog, said Toad, where are you? There was still no answer. Frog, what have I done? cried Toad. Then the voice said, The greatest Toad will know! Shut up! screamed Toad. Frog, Frog, where have you gone? Toad was spinning in the dark. Come back, Frog, he shouted. I will be lonely. I am right here, said Frog. Frog was standing near Toad's bed. Wake up, Toad, he said. Frog, is that really you? said Toad. Of course it is me, said Frog. And are you your own right size? asked Toad. Yes, I think so, said Frog. Toad looked at the sunshine coming through the window. Frog, he said, I am so glad that you came over. I always do said Frog. Then Frog and Toad ate a big breakfast while drinking five, six, seven, eight coffee. And after that, they spent a fine, long day together. The end. Final thoughts regarding the Drowsy Chaperone. I'm so glad the Drowsy Chaperone followed Next to Normal, a show Liz recently described as relentless on Patreon. I could not think of a better descriptor, Liz. Next to Normal is absolutely relentless, a jagged little pill, and the Drowsy Chaperone is like pink bubbly champagne. He just made a jagged little pill reference. What could it mean? Nothing. It means nothing. I just wanted to say jagged little pill. Now, in 2006, the winner of the Tony Award for Best Musical was Jersey Boys, and the additional nominees that season were The Color Purple and Past Subject, The Wedding Singer. I do believe that The Color Purple deserved the Tony Award for Best Musical. It is an excellent show, and so we must give the award to The Color Purple. Yes? Yes? Did I say that in The Wedding Singer? I hope so. I like to be consistent. We will now rank The Drowsy Chaperone against all of the other shows here we have talked about on The Musical Man. As a reminder, if you want to take a look at our ranking, follow us on Twitter, at Musical Man Pod. We have a link tree. You'll just go to the link tree, find our spreadsheet, go to the second tab. That's where we have our ranking. Okay, The Drowsy Chaperone, you shall be number 33 on our list between Kiss Me Kate at number 32 and Man of La Mancha at number 34. So, congratulations, The Drowsy Chaperone. You're number 33. We have a few pieces of tasty show-related ephemera for you this week. Oh, we're going to start with Sutton Foster singing If They Could See Me Now from the 2016 off-Broadway production of Sweet Charity. Let's hear that! If they could see me now That little gang of mine I'm eating fancy chow and drinking fancy wine I'd like those stumble bums to see for a fact The kind of top drawer first-rate chums I attract All I can say is, whoa, we look at where I am Tonight I've landed, pal, right in a pot of jam One set of holy cow They'd never believe it if my friends could see me now 
The next piece of show-related ephemera is from The Carpenters, a Christmas portrait. This was a Christmas special that aired on television on December 19, 1978, and in this particular clip, Karen Carpenter and Georgia Engel will be singing Silent Night in German. Silent Night was written the afternoon before Christmas in 1818 in Austria. The organ in St. Nicholas Church in Oberndorf had broken, and in order to provide music for the evening services, Franz Gruber wrote this carol to be performed, as it was that very evening by two singers with just a single guitar accompanying them. Over the years, the melody has changed, but tonight we'd like to do the original version. And our final piece of show-related ephemera this week is from the Mary Tyler Moore Show, specifically the episode Murray Can't Lose. This is Season 7, Episode 10, which aired on November 27, 1976. And in this clip, Georgia Engel can be heard singing Steam Heat from the Pajama Game. Here's the wife of one of tonight's winners, Georgette Baxter, to ask the musical question, Steam Heat. <laughs> show we discuss next, we'll need to take a ride on the musical carousel, otherwise known as the random number generator I named after that classic Rogers and Hammerstein show, What Does One Buy When Shopping in Atlantis? Everyone ready? Then away we go! I have stepped off of the musical carousel and I am surveying my surroundings. It would appear that we have landed in the year 2000. In the year 2000! This was a nominee for the Tony Award for Best Musical and it ran for 461 performances. If you're having a hard time figuring out what that show could be, here's a hint. Dun, 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 dun,
Who's listening at this point? Are you still listening? <laughs> I wouldn't have blamed you if you skipped forward. Oh, goodness. The show is swing. Swing is our next subject. Swing with an exclamation point. Swing. Go to patreon.com slash musicalmanpod to find out how you can support the show financially. As a reminder, 100% of every monthly payout is donated to the Okra Project. You can donate one, three, five, or ten dollars a month. Let's begin with the one dollar a month tier. If you donate one dollar a month, you get Monday early access to all of our main feed episodes, as well as a verbal shout out each and every week. Thank you so much for donating at least one dollar a month. Jason, Jack, Vitor, Sydney, Katie, Elena, Anton, Ross, HJG, Jared, Eli, David, Dave, Christopher, Neil, Brian, Robin, Liz, Carrie, Maddie, Jonathan, Marcus, Rob, Shauna, Shiante, Roberto, Jordan, Ashley, Chris, JC, Jenna, Aaron, Lily, Haley, Brandon, Brad, Matt, Zach, and Marisol. You also get 13 bonus episodes regarding the 73rd Annual Tony Awards, the trailer for the film Cats, ABC's The Little Mermaid Live, a review of the film Cats, a review of the stage musical Emma, Take Me to the World, a Sondheim 90th birthday celebration, Hamilton via Disney+, Plus, Documentary Now, original cast album Co-op, John Mulaney and the Sack Lunch Bunch, Jingle Jangle, A Christmas Journey, Dolly Parton's Christmas on the Square, Harlow the Alligator Boy, and the trailer for Steven Spielberg's West Side Story. Coming up on September 22nd, a movie commentary for the film Vivo. Coming September 29th, the Tony Awards present Broadway's Back. And coming October 6th, Diana via Netflix. Yes, it's true. But you also get season one, 12 episodes of Radio Boy, a special series for which I check in with myself via the songs that make me feel more like myself. You also get all of the episodes that make up M3, the movie musical man. This is a special series for which I watch trilogies of movie musicals that are tied by a common theme. Coming September 29th, our latest episode, The Teens Are Alright Trilogy. That's the theme. Ah, yes, the movies are all about the youth generation. Starstruck, Sing Street, and Valley Girl. But let's say you donate $3 a month. What do you get in that scenario? Well, you get everything I've already described, plus a musical shout-out in the style of a character, actor, or composer of your choosing. Season 1, 10 episodes of Wildcats Everywhere, the high school musical podcast, and a special one-off episode all about season one of Julie and the Phantoms. If you donate $5 a month, you get everything I've already described, plus you get to stop the musical carousel and determine what show I discuss on the podcast. You choose what I talk about, as long as it was nominated for the Tony Award for Best Musical. You also get seasons one and two, that's 24 episodes of All I Ask of You, an advice show hosted by the Phantom of the Opera, along with my Broadway and Chicago review series and Shout About It, volumes one and two. Those are collections of five, six, seven, eight coffee ads and, ah, yes, musical shoutouts from the first 50 episodes of the podcast. Finally, if you donate $10 a month, you get everything I've already described, plus exclusive announcements regarding future subjects of the main feed, season one, 12 episodes of The Snub Club, which is all about Broadway musicals that were not nominated for the Tony Award for Best Musical, and, ah, yes, turn it off. This is our special series dedicated to off-Broadway musicals. We have released six episodes so far, and we have another six planned for the future. Those first six episodes are about Emojiland, Soft Power, The Fantastics, We Are the Tigers, Bat Boy, and
and a strange loop. If you're listening to the show via Apple Podcasts or Chaser, please take a moment to write a five-star review. We want 65 star reviews. We only have 51 so far. We're nine away from our goal of 60. What happens when we reach our goal? I will release a special episode all about Disney's Zombies franchise. It's true. If you're streaming the show, that could be through Spotify or Stitcher or maybe Audible or Podbean, musicalmanpod.podbean.com. Follow us on Twitter at musicalmanpod and email me at musicalmanpod at gmail.com. I do love to get an email. Thanks as always to Patty and Benny. I love you. Alex Green for our beautiful logo and Zach Little for our fabulous intro and outro music. Oh, you know what that sound means? Yes, just when the fun is starting comes the time for parting. Oh well, we'll catch up some other time, specifically on the next episode of The Musical Man. So long, farewell, off Wiedersehen, and good night. <laughs>